This is Off The Bench. The biggest names in Aussie sport are here every weekend for Bob Jane T-Mart's number one tyre and wheel specialists. Yeah, welcome to a, another edition of Off The Bench. You've got Jason Matthews here. This week, Gary Belcher and Scott Sattler caught up with some of the biggest names in rugby league and had some really good discussions around, of course, state of origin. It's been levelled up one all as we go to the decider Wednesday nights at Suncorp. And the boys thought they'd kick off this week with a chat around the hardest blokes to ever play origin. Uh, well, we've been asked to narrow down uh, our five best origin hard men <laughs> out of both sides, uh, New South Wales and Queensland. And that was off the back of our conversation with about Boyd Cordner. And, you know, if he, if he pulls up stumps and he's had to pull out of the rest of the origin series and... Definitely one of those toughest players who just rips in and when his side needs something, I've seen him do it so often for the Roosters, just, he tried to do it again the other night when he came back on for the Blues, he just throws himself into it. So, five, Sats, can you do it? Who well, have you got? Michelle at Sinclair says, uh, Sam Bacco badge, one of your former teammates. Yep, he was tough. He's a, you know, 89 when, series, he had an amazing 89 series, I remember that. Yeah, so when yeah. you're half man, half bear, you, you can be <laughs> tough, it's easy. Big Sammy. Listening up there in North Queensland. There's some notable, notable mentions, of course. Um, Les Davidson. That's a hard man. His debut in '87 he, is, I still believe, is in the top five best debuts in Origin. Really, a lot of people may not remember it, but it was an amazing debut from Les Davidson. So we're, let, let's let's go through the the, the forwards first of all. You yep. know the the likes of um, uh, Wally Fulton Smith. Now we interviewed Fatty last week, who who he's, he threw two blokes in. He said. Greg Dowling, people don't realise just how skillful he was, but he was hard too. And those were the days where the front row was they so often stood and went toe to toe. Like, you know, the guys like Rod Morris and, um, you know, the, the, the big front rowers, they, Steve Roach, and they, they had to be able to stand there and throw punches and, and cop wax in the head. Mm. So out of those big blokes, if I throw in Wally Fulton Smith, who I, else you got? I think in my top five. You've got to have Blocker and Paul Harrigan. Yeah, I thought Paul Harrigan just because he's just physic physically, he was he was like a machine. He's mm. like they'd put him together like off the production, like a robot. He's beautifully built, six foot five, had a, a beautiful running style. He was tough, but he, he wanted to hit. He, he wanted to get over the top of the other blo- oh, other yeah. the opposition front row. Great their best tackle one. technique, and he could fight like four mongrel dogs as well. So what about a bloke like Martin Beller? I don't think Marty could fight. Munster, but gee, I tell you what, I loved being in a side when he was just just getting us on the front foot and just running at the the biggest blokes on the other side. He just just kept taking it up. Yeah. And we we got that text from Michelle about um, Sam Bacco, but yeah, he was a, it was a good one. Blocker was old school. Mm. Now he came in in 80, 84, I think it was. Yeah, eighty four was his debut, and he, he was old school. He was. When Ronnie Willie and Terry Fernley, those sort of coaches, when they said, listen, we need to take the Queensland pack on, we can't do it. We can do it through our skill, but we've got to, we've got to take them off their game. So mm. it was guys like Blocker that used to start the stink first and sometimes finish it as well. Yeah. You know, he was amazing. You know, I, I look at a guy like Petro Sivanaseva, who was so. No one started a fight against Petro. So quiet off the field, <laughs> but on the field, he just leveled guys, whether he hit you with his shoulder on his on your chin, which was illegal, which was legal back then. His shoulder on your chin, he had this amazing tackle technique. He used to wear this short arm guard. Did you cop that off him? Oh, I broke my nose at least on two occasions, where he, he used to call it the rabbit killer. 
the, and he used to hit you on the end of the nose. So when it? you were already in a in a tackle from someone else, bending over, your head poked through, quick, and he'd tap you just with this little arm guard that he used to have on. He used to put it on after the referees would check your boots. Yeah, plutonium, I think it had in it. He straight like across that. the nose, and um, but outside of that, he never complained. No one ever took him on, no, because it was that silent assassin. And he just levelled guys all the time. Yeah, well, I think that, that for mine, the toughest modern day, uh, you know, if you're looking at the last 10 years or so, 15 mm. years, um, for, was Petro. I, I, I'd throw Gordy in there as well. Uh, Gordy was intimidating. Gordy's at the head of my and list. And he backed it up. Aussie. Because his eyes used to roll. Before the game, he was fine. He'd been mucking around in the dressing sheds. And all of a sudden, the two-minute buzzer would go. And you would see this glaze go over. And, and I've seen it. You, know, you see this glaze just go over Gordy. And his eyes would start rolling, and you couldn't communicate with him. You couldn't talk to him before the game. He'd be looking around you, and he'd be looking at who is in a blue jersey. He'd just be looking over your shoulder, and and then all of a sudden, for eighty minutes, he would do everything physically possible to hurt and maim you in every one of his involvements. Mm. Um, you know, was Nelly missed a lot of Origins because of suspension, and fortunately enough for for him and Queensland, he got off a lot of those those sightings. Um, but there's a guy that wasn't big in stature, but every time he ran the ball up, you used to try and find out where he was in the defensive line because you didn't want to run at him. And funnily enough, it was Danny Badiris. Yeah? Danny Badiris used Good to defender. get up. He'd get up underneath your ribs and he'd hit you really hard. He'd take your wind away from him, but then he'd tip you on your head with perfect tackle technique. And that was okay. And it was okay. So he was always a guy that you'd look for where he was and you'd go, no, I'm not going to run at him because... And yet forwards or, or, or other players are often trying to... Seek out the dummy out, the hooker. And he'd play for 80 minutes. He pulled off a hit. I think it was game, the last game of 2003. It might have been game one of 2004 at Suncorp Stadium, Lang Park. And New South Wales kicked off and Shane Webby got the ball on the dead ball line and ran, And Danny Baderas met him about two metres out from the trial. And he sprinted down and just pulled off this massive hit. He used to just take on Ford packs physically yeah. for such a little guy, and it set the tone for this origin. New South Wales didn't end up going on and winning it, but he was he was an amazing So on that note, I've got a – for your Danny Baderas, I've got to play my Trevor Gilmister card. Same sort of Who's Who build. was exactly the same, not big, but yep. he could just – I think because he was a bit shorter, he could just drive in up underneath your ribs or the football, and he did so much damage, mm. Gilly. He just had that beautiful technique and – um, and, and as I said before, Wally Fulton Smith too. He just oh, well. Let's talk about size hit. badge and size. Smaller blokes. Size not mattering. Um, well, Alfie Langer. But, but Paul Gallon. I've got to throw him in for the Blues. Yeah. A lot of people would say, and he's proved after his footy career too. He was tough. Like they didn't win much. Absolutely. When he was playing. Yeah. But tough. Tough as very nails. tough. Yeah. Well, he put his head where a lot of people wouldn't do uh, it, absolutely. and he would continually do it. And many people would always. Always have an opinion around would he take the wrong runs at the wrong time, and but he was always taking the ball into the teeth of the Queensland yep, defence. Absolutely, he never took a backward step. Alfie Langer is another one stands up. Probably, Any of those smaller from, blokes that play, I don't. I, I kind of don't. I don't understand. think anyone's been smaller than Alf, but in origin, in origin, no, probably no way. Not. And to play the amount of games that he did, um, of course, famously broke his leg in that '89 series. Um, yeah, he, the size and big players used to try and take him on. He had that awkward cumble and throw tackle. Yeah, he just grab him and throw him over the leg. Which puts you, puts, it put him in more danger than it did the player that he was trying to tackle. But time and time again, he just kept playing year after year but, and not but Jeff complaining. Tuvey. 
And yeah. how hard was two? So wonderful, wonderful tackler and player that he, whether he's at hooker or at halfback, just threw his body into it. Isn't it funny? No you, regard for the, for the touring Poms came over in nineteen eighty eight, and he played for Manly. It was the first time anyone saw him. We, I was there. The Aussie side had been already selected the, the squad yep. for that for the next week, and we watched them play midweek and sat behind the post at the southern end with Fatty and who was a Manly player, and and uh, he said, "Have a look for this bloke. This this kid is just unbelievable," and he just looked like he did. Dragged him straight off the beach. Well, he, he looked like a prefect at school, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. And, and then fat, by the end of his career, his head looked like he'd been. He'd be, that he's never <laughs> forgot. Like f- let, let everyone know. He said, "I told you, I told you the kid could play." But he also that night he pointed out Ian Gately and said he'll play for Australia too. So he, he got that one wrong. He was a good player, Ian. Gately, he was a good player. He was a tough player. <laughs> but twos, honestly, like that ninety-seven grand final when Adam McDougall stomped on his head and left an imprint of his of his steel studs in his head. He left the field, turned around, pushed. Brian Hollis, the trainer, away so he'd get back out in the field. Like he was just, he just didn't care. He was amazing. He was inspiring. Uh, just uh, one you of our, one more sets. Yeah, one of our uh, one of our text messages zero four double seven seven three six seven three six. It's Moth from Lismore. Actually, there's a couple of people have come through. This one's unnamed as well. Same player, Gary Larson. Oh, twenty four consecutive Larry. Origins for Queensland. Yes, mm. outstanding, yep. outstanding player, and and tough as they come. Good stuff. Thanks, Moth. And uh, anyone else that uh, wants to join in, 0477-736 is the text number. Uh, that's our hot topic for pharmacy sleep services. Always tired. Visit your local pharmacy and test yourself for sleep apnea. I've got another couple here. Real quick ones. Uh, Horse is my AKA from Newcastle. Cheers, gents. Long-time listener, first contact. Boyd should be considered quality of life in the future. He's talking about Boyd Corden, of yeah. course. He is a tough player. He's obviously done well money-wise. He'd like to think so out of the game. And my favourite footballer was Newcastle, David Howe. Yeah, but he had to give away from head knocks. Uh, another one here also uh, about toughest players, Adrian from Dural, Ray Price. Oh, yes, the great Ray Price. Yeah. That was a hard man, wasn't he? He was in everything. Oh. I think he used to run out with a dirty jersey. You couldn't get your jersey that dirty playing just 80 minutes of footy, could you? He says here about the All Blacks, he got uh, full respect from the All Blacks because they couldn't believe his fierce tenacity that he possessed when he was playing rugby union. Of course, and he was a dual international. He was. He was yeah. the great Ray Price. Good stuff. Love it. This is Off The Bench. We'll be back soon for Bob Jane T-Mart's number one tyre and wheel specialists. We're back. This is Off The Bench for Bob Jane T-Mart's tyre and wheel specialists. Yeah, they certainly are. Thanks to Bob Jane T-Mart's for Off The Bench. This is Jason Matthews and, of course, Bob Jane T-Mart's. Buy three, get one free on Bridgestone's Ecopia passenger and SUV. Bobjane.com.au. During the week, Badge and Sats caught up with one of the hardest blokes to play origin and rugby league in general, Mark Spud Carroll. Mark Spud Carroll. One of the hardest men they've ever seen play. And uh, Agree. guess what, Scotty Sattler? We got him on the line. G'day, Spud. How are you, mate? Uh, evening, man. Love hearing your show on the way home from my gym at Spud's Gym. <laughs> what have you been doing? Have you been pumping iron, mate, or just taking boxing oh, lessons? Uh, well, mate, badge, you never come in because it's too tough for you. That's true. The gym's changed. I've changed location due to COVID. It's a far better gym, cardio gym, but. Um, you guys uh, make me have a bit of a laugh on the way home, so great to be on the show. Hey, Spud, uh, yeah, thanks very much for, for listening and, and joining us also. Before we get into Origin, mate, um, you had ankle fusion, some pretty serious ankle um, surgery last year. How's that all played out for you? 
Uh, I've had better days. Uh, it's nearly been two years there, Sats, but the thing is, I've, I've got psoriolitis. Do you ever get psoriolitis in your life? It's the most painful bloody thing, as infection. So they've taken the screws mm. out, but uh, the arthritic pain has gone. I'm, I'm still limping around like an old man, which I am now at 53 years of age, but um, the arthritic pain, I, I really feel sorry for all the people who have got arthritis. It's the most, most, one of the most painful things ever. Yeah, you miss that. A lot of people commented that when I was down in Adelaide, fortunate enough, and they said the same thing, that opening five or ten minutes, there's a lot of ball movement as opposed to in-your-face uh, contact. Now, talking origin hard man, Spud, you're definitely one of those. You've some great stouses over the years. Who are some of the Queensland opponents who really tested you? Tested me? Uh, well, I remember one time I, I tackled that Tony Hearn. He got up and he headbutted me, so I just threw about five short rights to his head. <laughs> that was outstanding. Straight on the bean, that's one of the best things. And then after the game, we shook hands, that was it. That was origin. That's how, at the end of the day, you'd leave it on the field and, and walk out. But um, I just think the axe always brought the, uh, the uh, that's one guy, I heard you were talking about, somebody you don't run at, Baderas. Mate, the axe is another one, mate. He chopped me in half one day. He nearly broke me leg enough. That's how hard this bloke hits. For, for a lot um, small, for a small forward too, hey? He's only 90, 92 incredible. kilos. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Badge. But the thing about it, he had technique, the same with Dave Gillespie. They were just unique. I look at Steve Menzies. Steve Menzies is probably one the most natural, gifted tacklers I've ever seen. And I think Jake Trevojevic is now coming into his mantle to, to take over that reign. Yeah, very good point. You, you know, we're talking about origin, but we always remember back those massive clashes that you had, one or two in particular, with, with Chief Harrigan, Paul Harrigan. Was he your greatest rival? Oh, by far. There's no one else. Um, as a kid growing up, I wanted to play rugby league, and then when I finally made league, um, there was this guy who played for Newcastle, and, and uh, he was the king of Newcastle back then. And I had to take on the big dog, as we said, you got to take the big dog on. When I got the man, when I got the manly, I just took that upon myself to take him out. And oh man, we got some, we had some bloody good clashes uh, a couple of times. <laughs> I don't know how I got up, but. I was more worried about my dad jumping up the fence and kicking me up the arse for not getting up. That's how my dad said, never show your hurt, always get up. Mate, I was gone, but um, <laughs> it's quite amazing. That collision back in 1995, um, I hate to see what the judiciary would have, what I would have got for that because I actually, I didn't hit him with the elbow. He, he ran into my shoulder, but I'll tell you what, he hit me hard, spun me around about three quarters, nearly a 360, but at the end of the day, mate, I got up and uh, unfortunately the poor bloke was snoring. Yeah, there was carnage everywhere. Oh, now, what about when you played rep together as the two pillars oh. in that in that Ford Park for New South Wales. Was there you know, was everything forgotten or was there still a bit of a standoff between both of you? That's well this we get in the camp, right? You can't wait to get you know, how good's it when you hear your name, just can't can't wait to get in your car and go over there and see the boys and the first couple of days are outstanding. But um but they tried to do some sort of publicity thing and myself and Chief actually roomed together for one game. One game. It was like two enemies sleeping if you can just imagine this, I'm laying on my back with my hands clenched like this, thinking it's going to be on, you know? <laughs> so that was, uh, that lasted one week. I remember we said to Jeff Carr, mate, you do it again, we're going to knock you both out. But that only happened one week, but um, we used to fight for, um, back then was, um, back then when they actually packed and, and fed the ball into the scrum, my goal was always to try and tread on the halfback's foot. If it was a right foot kicker, hit him on the right foot, especially back then, mate. We used to, remember the 18 mil studs? Mate, sharpen them up and just bang oh. them. Yeah. Hey, that was the best thing. The um, no, we used to, mate, we, we had we had some good, good, great jewels out there. But the, I, I did a gig with him, uh, oh, about four weeks ago, and it's 
quite pleasant that I regard him as a mate. Um, on the field, we're all maniacs, but off the field, mate, we did our job and we've got a legacy. We've, we've, it's quite incredible. People still talk about the way we played, yeah. and that blows me away. It was full on, no doubt at all. And that takes us back before we let you go to where we started. And Boyd Cordner, who's, um, who's had to stand down for the last couple of Origin games, knowing what you know now, and it's completely different times with all the, the research that's been done over brain injuries, six, I think, concussions over the last few years for Boyd. Do you worry about his future? Yeah, I certainly do. Uh, I just, now, when we were playing, if we keep going back to when we were playing, and it was, it was we were, if you look back at the way we played, like I said, Martin Lang, I remember Martin Lang, I used to love Martin yeah. Lang. He used to run yeah. so hard. And I remember in Origin, I tapped him on the arse, and I said, are you going to run at me, mate? He goes, man, I'm not that silly. But he used to run straight lines and he copped that many wax. But we've all caught wax. The thing about concussions, and it's quite scary, it doesn't matter. I've been now retired 21 years. They're still in your body. It only takes a little jolt and your your head will start rocking. And and I've had judders in my life. Even when I'm doing boxing training, just some body pounding stuff, mucking around. And someone might hit you straight in the chest and my whole body would shut in shutter mode. And I really worry for Boyd because that hit, he... uh, it was a glance. It wasn't much of a hit. And unfortunately, um, he's not in good shape, mate. No, no, he's not. And uh, we, all, we all hope he's okay long term. Hey, Spud, yeah. great to talk to you. Great to, to catch up with you, a friend of the, of the show. We wish you all the best, mate. And, um, yeah, may the best team win on Wednesday night. Good luck with Spud's gym. Yeah, yeah good on you, mate. Well, when you're down, you know where I am, mate. Come and see me, all right? I'm trying to drag Badge here all the time, but he sleeps in Is it hard every work? Friday morning. Yeah, oh, it's know, hard work. It's old that. school, Badge. We're it's getting to the school. break. Uh, we'll talk about it in the break. Good on you, Spud. Thanks for joining us, mate. This is Off The Bench. We'll be back soon for Bob Jane T-Mart's number one tyre and wheel specialists. We're back. This is Off The Bench for Bob Jane T-Mart's tyre and wheel specialists. Yeah, welcome back to Off The Bench for Bob Jane T-Mart's number one tyre and wheel specialists. Uh, One of the interviews the boys, Badge and Sats, did during the week Great interview with a great author who's brought out a book called Cheat, The Not-So-Subtle Art of Conning Your Way to Sporting Glory. His name's Titus O'Reilly. He's got a book out. You've got to listen to this, and you've got to grab the book. There's a book out, um, and it looks really interesting. I've read a little bit of it. Sats, I think you have too. Yep. It's called Cheat, The Not-So-Subtle Art of Conning Your Way to Sporting (laughs) Glory. And Titus O'Reilly, sports comedian, is the author. We've got him on the line now. Titus, welcome to the show. Oh, good to be with you. Was there a, was there a particular event in your life or, or something you read about or saw that, that triggered you your decision to write this book? Yeah, I, I remember reading about the 2000 Paralympics in Sydney where in the sport of intellectually disabled basketball, the Spanish team decided the best way to win that was to get people who are good at basketball that weren't intellectually disabled <laughs> and pretend to be intellectually disabled, which is a, is a level of cheating I was just blown away at. And they actually went on and won the entire thing. They won the gold medal. And the reason they got found out is one of the guys they hired to pretend to be intellectually disabled was an undercover journalist. <laughs> and he... <laughs> He came back and wrote the whole story. So I just thought, is there there anything people won't cheat at was where I sort of started thinking about it. 
And and did you find did you find some dead ends? Did you find all this? There's a, a bunch of sports there that no one cheats, or is it the other reverse? And I'm suspecting that in most sports that there there's some level of cheating that's gone on by someone. Well, in every sport, I actually when I started researching, I'd Google like cheating and table tennis, and there's cheating in that. But cheating and badminton, there's cheating in that. There was even a guy that took steroids in curling. Uh, which is the one where you sweep the ice ahead of the rock. And <laughs> some guy took steroids a few years ago. Uh, now, Titus, can you recall during your, your research the earliest recorded cheating episode? Well, the earliest one I could find, uh, there was, they definitely cheated in the ancient Olympics. And one of them, the Roman Emperor Nero, showed up to a chariot race. He decided he wanted to be in it. And he showed up and everyone had four horses and he turned up with 10 attached to his chariot. chariot. <laughs> he, he, he literally had more horsepower than anyone else. And he uh, promptly crashed on the first lap. And because he was the Roman emperor and they didn't want to upset him, they awarded him the victory anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, is Lance Armstrong regarded as the captain coach of cheating? Well, not really. I mean, Lance is kind of, when you understand the Tour de France, Lance is a Mm. continuation and quite the norm in the Tour de France. The first ever winner of the Tour de France was a guy called Maurice Guerin. And he actually, this is in 1903, he knocked a competitor off his bike because the guy was about to win. And the guy got back on his bike, chased after him. So Maurice knocked him off again and then got off his own bike, walked over the guy's bike on the ground, and then jumped up and down on the wheels until they were bent, and then took off and won the whole race. And that was the very first race. Is that the first one? And they thought, oh, this is a good idea. We'll, we'll keep going with this. It worked nicely. Yeah, he got, dis- he, he got disqualified in the second Tour de France, which he also won because he caught the train for part of the, um, part of the course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guy that did win it, he'd also cheated. He'd gotten a car for a bit of the race, but he, they determined he hadn't cheated enough to be disqualified. <laughs> a, tra- a train, that, that is, yes, that's too much. The, the more you researched this, Titus, you, did you become less or more surprised at the levels that some people will go to? Well, it's a combination. There's, there's pure stupidity, you know, guys that just, aren't very good. There was a guy called DJ Cooper who did a urine test. He was a basketballer in Monaco. And the test came back for drugs. The test came back negative for drugs. But it came back that he was pregnant, which raised a few <laughs> questions. And right. it, it turned out he'd used his girlfriend's urine and she didn't know she was pregnant. And that's how they found out they were having a baby when the drug testers told them. Oh, oh, God. We're talking to Titus O'Reilly. He's the author of a book called Cheat. You've got to get it. Uh, the the not-so-subtle art of conning your way to sporting glory. Titus, I did see something. I didn't read the whole story about uh, some Americans that decided the only way they could get into the Winter Olympics was to represent another country that doesn't even have snow. Yeah, this was... Uh, you can actually... The, 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 it was an Italian and a, a husband and wife. One was Italian, one was American. And they wanted to go to the Winter Olympics, but they weren't good enough. And they worked out if you go to a smaller country, you can sort of get in because they, they reserve spots so more countries get involved. So they chose the Dominica Republic 
um, which is a, a, an island in the Caribbean that's still been formed by an active volcano. So not great for skiing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they, and they actually formed the Dominican Winter Olympic Association, which is amazing for a place that doesn't have snow, and managed to get into the, the Olympics, uh, actually went to the opening ceremony, carried the flag, it was just the two of them, and then both called in sick to their races because they'd been out partying. <laughs> but, uh, they just went to the event. Oh, That's right. Uh, now, uh, Chapter 4, and I want you to explain it just in, in short detail, if you could, Titus, which I really enjoyed, the sensible and opportunistic cheating. What would you call sensible cheating? Well, there's somewhere it's it's better to lose in the sort of the round-robin stages so that you actually get a better opponent. Mm. And this happened at the 2012 London Olympics where two doubles badminton teams worked out if they'd both lost, whoever lost would face the lesser opponent in the finals. So they both tried to lose. So at, at the 2012 London Olympics in front of a crowd, national international television, they both started serving into the net and out on the floor. And the longest rally was four strokes. And... Uh, <laughs> Eventually, the Chinese lost to the, the ties, but that then meant that the next game meant that both those teams were better off losing. So they both did the exact same thing. So you had a night of top-level badminton with no one trying to win. Oh, Now, the guys here, they know that I love my, my NFL. Now, Deflategate, which was the Patriots, 2014, um, they were alleged to have purposely ordered the the uh, the d- deliberate deflating of the balls. They beat the Colts easily by 40 points. Now, if the Patriots are using the same deflated ball, is that cheating? Well, no, they use different balls, basically. They swap them when they play. They were placing it slightly, and everyone said that this is a huge conspiracy. They were still winning by sort of 30 points, so it didn't yeah. mean much. They won by more when it was over. But it led to a 350-page report, and it was really because... They'd earlier spied on people and got and been seen to be got away with it. But, you know, the spying was a big thing that they thought. Spying is a huge thing in sport. There was once the Swedes once spied on the South Koreans in football and the South Korean coach told his players to swap their numbers and when asked why he did this, he said, oh, it was to throw the Swedes off because white people can't really tell the difference between Asians. And oh. so that was what he said in response oh, to the South Korean coach. Oh. So they'll try anything. The, the, these stories are, are fascinating, and, and I know you go into a lot of detail. We don't want to give them all away. It's but, a fantastic read. But before we let you go, you, you, I want to know about uh, Boris Onoshenko's magic sword and the ice hockey player that loved licking his opponents. <laughs> well, Boris Onoshenko uh, was a... Um, member of the Soviet Union team and in fencing he rigged his because um, it's an electric tap sex uh, uh, system he rigged his um, epi which is his sword with a little button in the guard that he could pr- press and it would instantly basically <laughs> record a hit <laughs> even That's if right. he didn't even touch them and the problem is he kept touching it when the sword was nowhere near his opponents which is how <laughs> he got caught so he was a crappy chip. but uh yeah, Brad Marchand, who was an NHL player you referred to, he started kissing players when they got in fistfights. And this progressed onto licking his opponents whenever they were near him. 
And the NHL, it was asked, are you going to ban him from this? And they put out a media release saying, we are not going to ban him from this, which would have been an odd one to have to write. So he kept doing it, and they eventually had to ban him from licking his opponents, which oh. just shows you're running a sport. You can't predict that sort of stuff, can you? No. Beautiful stuff. No. He's, actually a, he's actually a sport, Titus, that, that there hasn't been any form of cheating yet. No, not at all. I mean, even table tennis is cheating. They used to put really strong glues on their bats to glue the rubber on because it makes the rubber expand and gives you 30% more speed and spin. And it got so bad because they had to ban it because at the Scottish Championships in table tennis, someone knocked their glue bottle over and it, the fumes made another opponent pass out. <laughs> Oh, oh God! Have you got a? There's going to be. It sounds like to me like there's going to be a follow-up book. All you got to do is just just keep looking at any other new sport, and you're going to find cheats. Yeah, I, mean, I couldn't find any sports that didn't. I mean, I even looked at some which I didn't put in the book in the end. But like in esports, you know, or the computer games, there's yeah. um, cheating in that. People have invented programs that will make you instantly like if you're playing Fortnite, which a lot of kids play, you know. They'll make it so the gun automatically aims and you can never miss, and people have been caught doing that. The World Scrabble Championships were um, controversially people were cheating. They were going to the bathroom with their phone to look up words. Um, so there's really nothing... Yeah, that, that no, that's not cheating. Do. That's all right. Everyone does that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. All right, well, Titus, we're going to have to let you go, but uh, we will... Uh, make sure we get the book cheat, the not-so-subtle art of conning your way to sporting glory. It's a fantastic read, and we do thank you for joining us on Sports Day. Thanks, Titus. Thanks for having me. This is Off the Bench for Bob Jane T-Mart's Tire and Wheel Specialists. We'll be back shortly. We're back. This is Off the Bench for Bob Jane T-Mart's Tire and Wheel Specialists. Yeah, Bob Jane T-Mart's number one tyre and wheel specialist. Welcome back to Off the Bench. Jason Matthews here. Uh, during the week, the Australian cricket selectors named the 17-man squad to take on India in four tests, which begin on December 17 in Adelaide. Ian Healy joined us uh, to give us his two bobs worth. They've named the 17-man Aussie squad for the, uh, the upcoming test series. Yep. Ian Healy is on the line. Uh, before we go to him, just quickly run through the team. Yeah, very quickly. Dave Warner, Will Pekowski, Joe Burns, Marnus Labashane, Steve Smith, Travis Head, Matthew Wade, Cameron Green, Tim Payne as captain, Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Joss Hazelwood, Nathan Lyon, James Patterson, and Michael Nisa, Mitchell Swepson, and Sean Abbott badge. And Ian Healy, I think we've got you there, Heels. How are you, mate? Any surprises in that yeah. list? Excellent badge. Uh, not really. Uh, I think that side is starting to establish itself. Quite exciting. A couple of new names uh, that are performing extremely well, and, and that's Sean Abbott, Michael Neeser, Mitch Swepson, Cameron Green, and Will Pikoski. So brand newies that have just mm. had to be selected. So that's a great thing for Australian cricket. So a good little squad. Yeah, very, very good. Fair to say that because they've had to, well, they've named seventeen because they've got to go into some sort of bubble. I imagine for the for the series, has that saved Joe Burns at the moment, or do you think he was probably going to get a start in the first test anyway? Uh, no, I think it's it saved him. Um, they've definitely wanted to include him, but you just can't look at two double hundreds and the advice of coaches, etc., that Will Pikoski is ready to play for Australia. He, He's battled some anxiety problems over the last 18 months, but he's worked hard on it. So 
So mm. if he's right, he'll get picked. But what saved them all, or Burnsy, is two games against India. So what they go, just before the first test in Adelaide, there's two three-day matches. One that's going to be nearly full-strength test at Dremoyne Oval because everyone's trying to get uh, some long-form cricket into their bodies. You know, the, the bowlers who have been in the IPL in India, um, like that's Cummins and Hazelwood, uh, and the batsmen, the same thing. They'd love to... They've got a three-day game at Dremoyne, and then they'll then go on to Adelaide. The Test 12, for example, will go on to Adelaide and get ready for a day-night test while there's another three-day at the SCG under lights, pink ball, that oh. the others will be able to play in. You know, so... So there's, you know, there's two lead-up games for the Indians, and one of them will be nearly full strength, and the other blokes will get a second, third game that aren't the Adelaide Test players. Okay, yeah, no, it's a pretty impressive squad. Now, out of the emissions, who are the most notable emissions heels? Oh, jeez, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's well, missed out, have they? Um, Seventeen. Well, of them. A Kwaja? Is he? Is he not yes, really? Well, regard- he was. He's- no, he must be uh, still out, out on the fringes. Uh, yep. He. he Lost his spot last year, sometime or last summer. Um, so, so uh, and to sort of Manus, sort of cemented himself into his spot and and hasn't looked back. So, no, was he probably not expected to be there? Um, no, I don't think. I don't think there's too many uh, surprise omissions. They're just nice inclusions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what about uh, the spinners? The the battle between Swepson. And, uh, and also Lyon has been a really good one to watch over this uh, Sheffield Shields uh, season. Will they go in with two yeah. spinners or will it be one or the other? Uh, rarely will they go in with two spinners. Um, but but uh, the second spinner up till now has always been Ashton Agar in yes. the minds of the selectors. In, in one day as in T20. And then he's gone on a couple of tours as well. Well, Mitch Swepson has pushed his way ahead of Ashton in the, in the test matches at least. And it's so handy having a leg spinner. Um, you know, yesterday, for example, in that classic finish against South Australia, Swepo had bowled 50 overs without getting a wicket, 50 in an inning and without getting a wicket. But in his last two or two and a half overs, he got three wickets and cleaned up the tail of South Australia. Yeah. That's, that's how valuable a leg spinner can be. So if you're going with a second spinner to Nathan Lyon, a leg is really handy. And Swepo's uh, put his hand up and I, I reckon has convinced the selectors he's ready. Yeah, well, our producer Woogie reckons just he just brings Swepson in straight away and dump the great Nathan Lyon, which I think is ludicrous. <laughs> Woogie, yeah, I know. I thought give him laugh. an uppercut. Yeah, give just him an uppercut. Reach over okay. his panel there and give yeah. him a clip over here. But but he's Lyon. He, he's going to be unreal. Nathan Lyon. He's already got, I think, the second most stats to Warney as mm. a spinner, and he's he's a, not a deceptive off spinner, not regulation orthodox off spinner. Not one of the flicky Sri Lankans or the flicky Indians uh, that that the, a lot of batsmen can't read. So mm. for Lino to have such a great statistical career at the moment, and he's not that old. He looks old, but he's not. He's only early thirties. We'll get another oh. five years out of Nathan Lyon, and he's going to really kick. Um, so he never gets injured. So we'll just see if 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 he does go downhill quick, but he'll still finish with an unbelievable record. Yeah, is is that a bit of a you know I, I don't know is it a myth or is it of late we we always used to I think go with two spinners in Sydney because of that turning yeah. SCG wicket but doesn't it, it's not a given anymore. No, that's right um, because Sydney have endeavoured to grass their wicket up and mm. they haven't quite uh-huh. got it right. It, it's still a, it's a grassy wicket now which hasn't got the dry um, dry powdery bits to as the game wears on. 
but what it, when you grass a wicket up, you want it hard and you want it bouncy at the front of the game, and theirs is a bit dead. So, uh, you know, they're in no man's land at the moment, so no one's sure of, of uh, what to, what's most effective at Sydney. It's a, it's a batsman's wicket. But uh, now uh, in Sydney also, you're quite tired by the time you normally get to the Sydney Test because you've played one in the middle of December, then you go Boxing Day, which finishes on the 30th of January, and then the 3rd, you're, you're straight into the Sydney Test of January. You're on. So that, they've spread that out this time. So the play, it, it starts on the 7th, so everyone will be a lot fresher in Sydney than they have been in the past, which is going to be interesting to watch too. Yeah. Now, before all that happens, there's one-dayers and T20s. And I've just read the first one-dayer is on the 27th of November. So two weeks tomorrow, well, where, where's the Indian side? Where, aren't they, wouldn't they be over here quarantining, you'd think? Is that, or are they, yeah, do they get, well, they, they do they get a no, shortened no, no, they, quarantine they got, time? No, they haven't got any, any shortened. And remember, the Brisbane government, the Queensland government, uh, knocked them back to do their quarantine in Brisbane mm. because they had, to, they had to live where they trained. And Brisbane hasn't got that. You know, they, they sort of even thought about the private schools. Maybe they could do that and just train, train and move back to the rooms, you know. But, but uh, they sort of, our Queensland government said no to what the proposal was and Sydney picked it up, right? So, so these games, so, so now they're going to Homebush. So I reckon in India, they must be very close. They, they're flying from Dubai having quarantined a bit in Dubai also, the ones who haven't played the IPL. Um, and they're all on an A380 to Sydney. They'll stay around Homebush, which is where the WBBL girls are, are being uh, housed, and they can train at Homebush. So, so both teams will be doing that. And as a consequence of that, all the one day, three one days are in Sydney and Canberra, and same with three T20s, Sydney and Canberra, or Canberra and Sydney. I think Canberra get two of them. All those six were going to be in Brisbane, Brisbane and the Gold Coast, but we lost them. But yeah, uh, yeah so no, full full quarantine protocols, and uh, they must be on our doorstep, I reckon. Yeah. Now everyone is anticipating uh, young Cameron Green was going to be be selected. I'm I'm really excited about seeing a lot more of him. Will he play much of a role? Do you think if he gets the opportunity, will they will they look at him as a potential player in a in the starting side, or will it be more about the experience? Heels. Yes, I, th- I think it's more about the experience, like having him in there now. He, if he actually did debut, he'd be the youngest debutant I, I heard today for a long time, maybe maybe since Ricky Ponting, something like that, maybe even earlier. Uh, so he, he's a big thing, but I think we really need him bowling. He's not going to he's not going to mm-hmm. debut in the Australian team as a batsman um, and, until until he gets his bowling going, I reckon. And when he does that, I think the number six spot uh, is up for grab. And, you know, Matthew Wade's going to have to score a lot of runs to, yep. to just stave off the all-rounders, whether it be Mitchell Marsh, Marcus Thornis or Cameron Green. But I think it's more for experience. Whereas I think Pukowski, if he's okay to play, if in his and his, uh, his coach's minds, um, which they're saying that he is, I-, I think he'll go in and Burns won't play. I think Pukowski will get a run. Green will be more experienced. Yep. Beautiful. Righto, you heard it here first on Sports Day. Ian Healy, uh, always great to pick your brains about what's going on in the yep. world of cricket, mate. And hey, bad, even hey, even bad. better to, uh, to, to to not talk origin. We, yeah, we talked to um, Sats this morning, didn't we, Sats, on our show, and you were yep. walking along a boardwalk to have a latte, right? I was. I'm walking on a boardwalk now in the Botanical Gardens in Brisbane about to monster a beer. There you go. There. <laughs> That's the difference between Sattler and Healy. Good on you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you were Thanks for joining us. <laughs>
Radio. Ian Healy there on Off the Bench. That's it for another week. We'll be back next week. This has been uh, Off the Bench for Bob Jane T-Mart's number one tyre and wheel specialist. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.